0: There's just something about it when followers of Jesus gather together in mass quantities Things just begin to happen Amen We're going to talk this morning about outwitting the enemy And I want to take this moment to let you know that Since God put this message on my heart from the time pastor jack asked me to preach There has been nothing But hindrance after hindrance after hindrance and you know what that excites me because it means one of two things either God doesn't want me to preach this message which I highly doubt but the second part is I believe that this message is intended for this exact time and the enemy does not want you to hear this so I am so thankful that we're all together here on one page but now what I want us to do is I want us to participate together in this in a few moments I'm going to instruct you to close your eyes right where you're at I promise you nothing weird's going to happen no one's going to hit you on the head No one's going to leave you no one's going to come and sit beside you that you don't know I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and i'm going to ask you to envision something Bring something to memory possibly And then keep your eyes closed because i'm going to ask you a series of questions That I want you to answer to yourself All right, and then when we're done i'll tell you to open your eyes All right, so go ahead and close your eyes everybody Don't worry about your spouse or your significant other who's there with you or your children or what's going on or where you're going to eat afterwards. I just want you to focus right now. This is just you. I want you to take a thought. Envision a circumstance or a situation. It can be current. It can be past. A situation that seems to be so overwhelming that really it just seems there are no possible odds that you're actually going to come out of this. I want you to get it. Now, do you have that in your mind? Go ahead and keep it there. Circumstance or a situation that is so overwhelming. Do you remember how you reacted in the midst of that situation or that circumstance? Think it through for a moment. Get it in your mind. What was your response in the midst of it, when it began, or maybe even when it ended? How did you feel? Maybe you felt... Overwhelmed, beaten, outfoxed possibly. How did you handle it? Was anger your answer? Was frustration the driving force? Was blame your best friend at the time? Or maybe you just laughed your way through the circumstance. Go ahead and open your eyes. You know, there are always situations and circumstances that surround us all the time. Things that we can't physically stop with our own hands. Situations that arise within our families, maybe in our jobs, sometimes even in the midst of our travels, that we have no way. We can't contact somebody and ask them to stop it. It's situations that are They're not like a light switch that we can just turn on and turn off when we just don't feel like dealing with it. I think of issues like the swine flu causes fear and strikes fear in our hearts. The current happenings of what's going in Iran. War all around us, different things. Situations and circumstances that technically we have no control over. Things happening within the midst of our families that cause us to be sad and disheartened. Things that we wish we could just put in a box and shove under the bed. And maybe in a few years when we're up to it, we can pull it out and revisit it again. But what do we do? What do we do with the constant nagging of the enemy? When it just seems in that situation, we get up every morning, we go through the same routine, and it's that constant thing where the enemy is constantly in front of us, and he's just looking at us, and he's pestering us, and he's badgering us, and he's whispering those little lies in our ears. What do we do with that? How do we handle that? Is there a solution? Or do we just kind of push our way through and grunt and hope for the best that someday this will end? We have an enemy. His name is Satan. The thing about Satan is, is we can't see him, but we know he's there. We realize this is that Satan is real, but he's a lot more real than what we think. Now, understand this. We know that Satan is real and we realize that he is capable of doing things, but he knows that we know we don't know the fullness of what he does. But we try to pretend that we know that we know, but really he knows that he knows, so he, you know, you follow me? But here's the greater part. There is this one called the Messiah, the anointed one. He is so far greater than the enemy that the enemy knows he has no chance. You see, thousands and thousands of years ago, Because there's a heaven and there's a hell, there is a God and there is a devil. And you see, there's a war being raged right now. As we all sit here, as we go home today, as we go out to our restaurants to eat, there's a war being raged. And it's for dominion. It's to own something. But this man, Christ, Jesus, sent by his Father, the Lord, comes down with a twofold purpose. And it was done on the cross for all of mankind. And when I say all of mankind, that means everybody, past, present, and those who were born and to come. Jesus Christ did two things. First of all, he provided a way of eternal life. So that when we die, when this body, when this flesh dies and we go six feet under the ground, our spirit has a place to dwell for eternity with Jesus Christ. And see, the reason is, is because somebody had to pay for our debt because none of us are able to do it. This thing, sin, is actually translated as miss the mark. It says we've all sinned. We've all missed the mark because we're not perfect. And if we were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need a Savior. We wouldn't need anybody to pay our debt. So Jesus comes and he hangs on the cross and he's crucified and his his actions say that I've paid debt in full so now I can give eternal life. I can extend grace to everybody that I've come for. That includes all of us in this room. Even if you don't know Jesus right now, he did it for you. But then here's the second purpose of that twofold reason Christ came to earth. I tell you, the enemy thought he had his day when Christ hung on the cross. The enemy was just down there loving that. Yeah, I got Jesus right where I want him. Mm. You just wait Mm. when he's done and he dies. mm. I'm going to wreak havoc. Oh, I'm taking over the earth, everything. Oh, I've got this one. And something happened. When Christ died on that cross, he outwitted the enemy. And instead of the enemy outwitting Christ... Christ outwitted him and took the keys to death in Hades, it says. Gave us power, dominion over the earth to do the same thing to the enemy. And so today I want to talk to you about that. Because Christ hanging on the cross was a brilliant picture painted for us that states it's not about how strong we are, but about how powerful God is in our lives. That's what that paints for us. Now the world, society, tells us the opposite. They say that if you have your right giftings, you got your right passions, you got your right skills, if you're in the job that fits your niche, you can defeat anything that comes your way, defeat any type of opposition. Now understand, passions are good, giftings are great, Knowing your skills are fantastic. Those are all important things. But that's not what Christ originally designed as his plan to overcome the enemy. Instead, Christ says, I have something greater for you. I have a greater possible plan ahead of you. You see, there was this thing about Jesus that I loved. Everywhere he went, he had this amazing presence about him that brought peace and rest wherever he would go. I think about Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Jesus and his disciples just get finished with a long day of connecting with individuals, the poor, the lost, the disenfranchised. And Jesus tells the disciples, let's get in the boat and we're going to go across to another place. So all of the disciples and Jesus get into this boat. And as they're going in this boat, they encounter a storm, but here's... Here's the good part. Jesus is asleep in the stern, it says. Now, you have to understand, you take a look at one of these boats that these disciples probably would have been in. This wasn't, you know, one of those big yachts, you know. They, they didn't have like a lower cabin. So Jesus was actually probably would have been in essence sat on the front of the boat or laid down in the front of the boat. And the sides of the boat were carved out so they were a little lower, so fishermen could cast their nets properly. So you can imagine just the influx of water just pouring in at this moment. It comes to this point where there's this climax within this storm that it becomes so much, the disciples turn to Jesus and wake him up and say, Jesus, 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 we are going to die if you don't do something right now. And it says that Jesus gets up. And he commands the storm, and he says, peace, be still. And immediately, the wind, the waves, the storm stops. And the disciples say, even the winds and the waves obey him. So what is it that Jesus has? What is this presence that he carries about him that enables him to outwit the enemy? If we were to ask Christ today, he would tell us that rest is a weapon. Rest is a weapon. See, Jesus understands that intense human and spiritual weariness is actually a primary enemy of the human body as well as our mind and soul. A lot of times when we think about rest, we think about our lazy boy recliners. Just having that opportunity to come home and just chill out in the midst of all the chaos. Gather our right minds. Let the kids quiet down for a few moments. We get that opportunity just to let the boss at work, the constant nagging in the mind, just drift away. And how we long for that rest. Just the ability to kick back and... ah. But you see, here's the thing about Jesus... What we're talking about today, this type of rest that we're going to talk about that is a weapon, is not that lazy boy type of rest. This is a rest that is a weapon intended for each and every single one of us. And it's called trust. I leaned over to Pastor Dan during the worship as Pastor Don gave that word. And I laughed and I said, Well, we can go home today. (laughs) He says, What? I said, he's just basically telling my sermon. But see, that's a confirmation as to what God wants to do today. So we're going to camp out in Matthew chapter 11 this morning. So I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles. Feel free to mark in your margins there some notes. Also, if you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to look on your outline or you can look on the screen behind me as that's pulled up. But we're going to camp out today in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is Jesus. And he comes across with this profound statement and he says, come to me. I'm using the amplified, by the way, just a different version of the Bible, because I love how this expresses these words. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Now, how many of you could say my soul is really in need of refreshing today? Okay. Okay. One or two of you. Fantastic. I'm glad that you're all great. Wonderful. All right, now we'll just move past this awkward moment. <laughs> now, here in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, Jesus invites the weary and the burned out. I want you to imagine with me for a moment, you don't have to close your eyes, but imagine with me for a moment, you having this divine ability, this supernatural ability to be able to walk into any situation, regardless of how big it is or how small you may think it is. And regardless of what is going on you and swirling around you with people yelling, situations just breaking apart and coming undone and crumbling right before your eyes, maybe seeing your bank account just deplete before your eyes, being laid off. Imagine being able to walk into this situation And not be disturbed by it at all. That so much you're not disturbed by it, that those that are with you look at you and say, what's wrong? Don't you even care? Don't you even care? Like, I I, I can't... You need an attitude adjustment. Imagine that you have this ability to be in the situation and never be phased by it at all. You see, I have learned that over time... Putting on the yoke of Jesus means living out his ways as a lifestyle. It means our preoccupations that we have go aside and we now become preoccupied with his. That word preoccupied is actually, it means to absorb. It means that if we say we now take on what preoccupies Christ, that means we eat it, we breathe it, we sleep it, we talk about it, we live it out. You see, our yoking with Jesus, because in Matthew 11 here, Jesus is talking about yoking with him. It means taking on his teachings and his understandings. Our yoking with Jesus is so vital if we are going to outwit the enemy. I love what our creator tells us in Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a fascinating verse. The creator tells us that there is a place that is set aside for us in the spirit where the enemy cannot touch us. Let me show you. Psalm chapter 91, verse 1, says this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow. Underline that word shadow. Of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. Now, there's a lot in this verse, but I want to highlight two areas. That word shadow in Psalm 91 is a very important word to us because it's translated as shade, But get this, a place of defense. Think about that. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the place of defense. You should be smiling right now. Yeah. (laughs) It'll get to you in a minute. (laughs) God has provided this place for us in the Spirit that is a place of defense, which tells us this. Our rest in Jesus barricades the enemy. If I can have my two guys come up here a minute. I want to illustrate this for you so you get more of a pictorial understanding of what Psalm 91 looks like in the physical. If you guys want to go ahead and just open that up. Thank you. And for my next trick. God is designed for us yeah, we want to turn it up so it's lengthwise. There, yep, there you go. God has designed for us that we have this supernatural ability, this place in the spirit, that when all things are crowding around us, we have a place to go to. Phil, if you want to come up here a minute. Phil is representing all of us today. Come on up here, Phil. And I want you to stand right here. And I'm going to represent the enemy. See, Christ creates this barricade for us in the spirit where the enemy cannot get beyond. So when Phil or all of us are in this constant chaos and things keep to be coming around us and pushing us and prodding us and hitting us all over the place and we just can't deal with it, God provides us with a place to go. Don't worry, he'll be there when it comes down. See, Psalm 91 says that there's this place, there's this barricade in the spirit. So when the enemy comes after us, we know where you're, he knows where you're at, but all of a sudden, he's taken off guard. He's outwitted. Now, where do you go? Where did she go? What's going on here? And so as the enemy prowls around looking for you, trying to find you, You cannot be found because you're in that place of rest. You're in that barricade, the presence of God that he has designed for you, where the enemy cannot get to you. So, come on out. When you come out of that place, you're in a place of refreshing, and you're armed, because this place is a weapon that God has designed for us. Thank you, gentlemen. You can just go ahead and lay it down. Thank you. You see, the longer we stay in that place of rest... The longer we learn, the more that we learn to make it a lifestyle and not just a moment. Our confidence begins to build up in Christ. Our confidence begins to build up in God in such a way that when we are in that place of rest and we're living it out, we become so confident in God that nothing touches us. Why? Because we begin to see who he is and we begin to understand what he's capable of. You see, a lot of times... And I'm totally guilty of this. We're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Oh, yep, yeah, I, I have faith. Jesus is going to do it. I know, I know. Cattle on a thousand hills. Jehovah Jireh. Mm-hmm, yeah. My rock, my fortress. Mm, God who I trust. Everything is great. And then when everything explodes around us, we're like, Jesus! Oh, Lord, help me! You know, and, and we don't know what to do. And we panic. But see, with this lifestyle of rest that God calls us to, this place that he's barricaded for us in the spirit is set aside for us. And the longer we stay there and the more we live that lifestyle, we begin to really, really know and understand in our hearts what he is capable of doing. So that when we really do say he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and your bank account depletes, and you check it the next day and it's filled miraculously, it's understanding. Or when you're laid off suddenly from that job and you have absolutely no clue what you are going to do, how you're going to provide for your family, and you know it in here, God miraculously moves in your life. It's great because God puts our whole being to rest. So if we're going to outwit the enemy, we must see that Jesus is never on edge. Jesus is never on edge. Jesus rests in the father enabled him to live an undisturbed life. Imagine that. How many of you would love today to walk out of here and live an undisturbed life until you die? Yeah, we all would, right? Absolutely. How many of you are the type of individual that has to have a set schedule every day? And if you don't, you're totally off kilter. None of you. Okay. That's good. This is a time to participate. <laughs> Let me ask this again, okay? How many of you have a set schedule in your life that you just have to have? Okay. There's a few more people being honest now. Great. Hopefully when the spirit begins to move, we'll all be honest. <laughs> How many of you just could care less? Like, you could fly by the seat of your pants and it wouldn't matter. You could have interruption after interruption and it just goes. Okay. I'm the exact opposite of you. <laughs> I have to have a set schedule. You ask my wife. The night before I go to bed, I have to know what I'm wearing. <laughs> I have to know what I'm going to do. Like, when I wake up, I've got to know what I'm going to eat for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a little extreme. So, like, when there's something that is totally against my intended schedule, you can imagine how I react. I I just get totally off kilter. I mean, it's like my moment is destroyed. I have to totally regain and think quick on my feet just to feel that I'm okay and that I'm stable at that time. But Jesus never did that. Jesus had this essence about him, this presence about him, that how he rested in the Father... He totally had this undisturbed life that nothing was new to him. I love this because he lived for the interruptions of life because he lived in this constant rest with his daddy. I think about the story of Lazarus. When everybody came to see Jesus and said, Lazarus has died. And Jesus' response is basically, in essence, okay. He shows up a couple days late, okay? Lazarus is already in the tomb. Okay, he's wrapped and he's in there. It's sealed up. It's tight. It's good. That would be like one of us finding out that somebody in this congregation died. And then we're like, okay, we'll be there. And then we show up at the grave site after you've been buried. Okay. So imagine with me for a moment, Jesus ends up coming late. And everybody's like weeping and mourning. But here's the cool thing. It didn't take Jesus by surprise. It wasn't a disruption because he was such in this place of peace and rest with God, his father, that he knew what was going to happen ahead of time. Because the whole Godhead lives, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit lives in an unruffled, undisturbed sense of delight in themselves. Simply meaning this, they take joy in the fact that they are relaxed because they already know what's going to happen and nothing takes them by surprise. And you say, well, that's great because that's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Father. What about me? I don't even know what I'm going to put in my coffee tomorrow. Well, here's the deal. According to a Matthew chapter 11, it's available to all of us. Look with me at verse 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Underline that word learn. That's an important word here. For I am gentle, meek. And humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest, relief, and ease, and refreshment and recreation, and blessed quiet for your souls. That word learn there actually means to increase one's knowledge. Jesus was telling us and saying, listen, here's the deal. I want you to increase your knowledge in this area. I want you to get this down and I want you to begin to walk this out in order for you to properly outwit the enemy as he encounters you. See, Jesus invites us to experience the same rest. But this rest comes with a cost. In order to outwit the enemy, we have to learn to wait and rest. Now you were following me for a minute, but when I got to that W word, some of you cringed. We don't like the W word. In our society, we're very spontaneous. We're very instant. And if we have to wait long, we get very ruffled. We don't get in a good mood. We get in a worse mood. But see, there's this wisdom of God that is so amazing about waiting on him. Waiting often will cost us our time. It costs us our emotions. costs us opportunities. So we don't like to wait. But the cost for us is to live beyond the instant. The cost for us is to live beyond the instant. We live in an instant society. If you want macaroni and cheese, you can microwave it. Instant mac and cheese. If you want a hamburger, why bother to go to the grocery store make your own hamburger and do it at home, when you can go down Peach Street and have an instant hamburger in five minutes. Oh, wait, you want to get married? Why bother to plan a wedding? You can go to Las Vegas and go through the drive-thru and be instantly married. We're an instant society. But Jesus says to us, he calls us to live the opposite. And he says, you have to live beyond the instant. I love what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9. To me, from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Put a circle around that word rest. That word rest here that the Apostle Paul is talking about actually means habitation, tent. But here's the good part. The power of Jesus descending on someone. So when the Apostle Paul was saying this, he's saying that Christ's power may descend on me in the midst of this. You see, first, when God calls us to this place of rest, we have to understand that his grace is so much bigger. And what he says when he says, my grace is sufficient for you in the midst of the circumstance, God is telling us that his answer is far greater than the circumstance that we are in. And a lot of times we miss God's answer. Because we're all ruffled, we're all overtaken in the moment, we're caught up in the instant. And all we see is in front of us and the flurry of activity and we're all getting worried and we're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And the world's crashing down around us. And Jesus is sitting right there the whole time just saying, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My answer is so much greater than this current problem or frustration that you have. And then the better part comes along after that. Not only that, but he's already descended on us with the power that's needed for the current situation. We already got the stuff. Look at somebody and say, you got the stuff. (laughs) Some of you were up too late last night you see this is the cool thing we were never designed to respond out respond out of panic you realize that our bodies were never made to respond out of panic i think about this imagine jesus if he responded to every situation out of panic think about that for a minute i think of like the the blind man who encountered jesus and uh Jesus heals him. He he takes some dirt and he takes some spit and he rubs it in the guy's eyes and the guy washes off and the guy sees. But imagine if Jesus panicked at that moment. You know, the blind guy comes up to him and then there's Jesus. Okay, so you're blind. All right. Okay. Uh, let's see. You've done the lame thing. Uh, done the deaf thing. You're not mute, are you? Oh, yeah, right. You told me you're blind. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Okay, what do I do? Okay, first, I look at my resources. What do I have available? Okay, no water. There's dirt. Okay, how am I going to do this? Okay, just cope with me a minute here, okay? Uh, I'm just working things through. I'm just, you know, listening to the Lord, okay? Just hang on. Okay, uh, okay, I think I got this. Okay, listen, I know that you're blind, so what I'm going to do in a minute, I'm going to take some dirt from the earth, And I'm going to spit in it with my saliva. And I'm going to make a mud pact, okay? I'm going to rub it on your eyes then, okay? And then, hopefully, when you go wash, you can see again. All right? Now, just if this doesn't work out, just give me a little grace. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't flow or move out of panic. Because he was in that place of rest with his father. So, when you go to work tomorrow and your boss comes in and he goes totally against the grain of what you had planned for the day, instead of getting the sweat under your arms and on your forehead and, you know, getting the dry mouth and you're like, what am I going to do? And I had this scheduled today and all that. Remember, my answer is greater than your situation and I've already given you the power. You have the stuff to handle it. So when there's a big upset in your family and it seems that you don't have an answer, remember, the answer is greater than the situation and you have the stuff to deal with it. I love what the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 4-7. He says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us that when our minds are governed, when they're directed by Jesus, that we're able to live in a constant state of untroubled life. Several years ago, my wife and I were youth pastoring out in New Jersey. There came a point where I confronted some of our leadership on sin. There was just blatant sin that was going on, so I called them in. I confronted them on it. They weren't too happy about that. In fact, they weren't so happy about it that they decided they wanted to talk and hold a meeting with the senior pastor, some of the council members, and some of their relatives. After narrowing down who would be in the meeting, they came to the decision and said, well, it'll be Pastor Jason, his wife, the senior pastor, and some representing council members, and the individuals that were confronted on this. Now, you have to understand, we went into this, we confronted them off of strict biblical understanding of what sin is and what sin is not. We get into the meeting, and the first time, I have to admit, the first couple days prior to, I had heard from the associate pastor saying, listen, this is what's going on. Be prepared when you come in on Sunday. This is what's going to happen after the service. I was so angry. I was so mad because I thought, how can you question blatant sin? I was so angry. And so I go home and I'm praying and Saturday night, I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm saying, God, you know, you're going to come out victorious in this. You're going to be given all the glory, you know, at the same time, you're going to save my tail. <laughs> I just slipped that one in there when I was praying. <laughs> and so I was so flustered during the whole morning that I didn't even pay attention to the message that was given that morning. Even during worship, I, when we were singing those songs, you know, and everybody was singing, I couldn't, I just couldn't keep my cool. And just before, my wife and I are standing out getting ready to go into that room. And my wife just looks over at me in this just peaceful, nice little voice. And she grabs my hand and she says, Jay, everything's going to be fine. We haven't done anything wrong. And God's got this one. I said, you're right, he does. <laughs> and uh, I walk in. My wife walks in, we sit down at the table, senior pastors over here. Individuals are here, council members are on the table. They say, Pastor Jason, would you please state your reason and your purpose and why you brought this account forth? And so I tell them, calm, cool, collective. Here's the truth right there on the table. Within moments, within moments, the opposing party got so enraged, that the true character behind what was there came out. And God just exposed it all right there. And you know how I felt that moment? I was so at peace and so at rest. I was undisturbed. I had such accusations. They were standing up. They were accusing us of all these false accusations. And I had this peace over me that just said, you don't even need to open your mouth. You don't even need to defend yourself. I got this one. Regardless of the circumstances or annoyances, we're not touched. And in that place, we gain confidence. We gain a potency and we gain a power and an authority that is not available to us outside of that place of rest. That's why Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Because he's telling us and saying, you can try any other yoke you want. You can try any other teaching you want. You can try A, B, C, and D. It's not going to work. But if you really want to overcome this, take mine on you. To outwit the enemy, we must embrace the fact that rest provides simple strategy. That word strategy means a plan of action. But strategy is not an ordinary plan of action. But an intentional applied thought with a tactical approach. The military is very infamous for this. These guys, like special forces and Navy SEALs and all those guys, along with all the rest of our military branches, are very good at executing strategy. They train for it, they teach on it, they live it, they eat it, they breathe it, they sleep it. These guys you don't want to mess with, but you know what? Jesus tells the enemy the same thing. He says, you know what? You see all those? You see them? You see all those people in the city of Erie that call themselves my followers? Yeah. You don't want to mess with them. Just giving you a heads up. You can try it. You don't want to mess with them. You want to know why? Because I gave them a strategy. You see, that is an intentional applied thought, meaning those guys in the military who go out, they look at the situation, they see what's going on, then they apply thought to it. They meditate on it. They think about it. And they take that applied thought and then they follow it up with a tactical approach. And they say, yeah, we got the strategy. This is how we'll take out the enemy. This is how we're going to outwit the enemy. When we rest in God, then we have that simple strategy provided to us. Look at what Jesus tells us in 1130, Matthew 1130. For my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, hard, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. Now, take a deep breath and let it out. Because what I'm about to tell you is going to be breakthrough in your life. There are no puzzling formulas when it comes to Jesus. Isn't that nice to know? Some of you still don't believe that, so I'll repeat that one more time. There are no puzzling formulas when it comes to Jesus and outwitting the enemy. The simple strategy is that we must, come over, that we must overcome ourselves. That's the simple strategy. We must overcome ourselves. Now you say, well, what do you mean? Simply this. As human beings, we like to complicate stuff. That's it. We just like to complicate things. We like formulas. We feel, society will tell us as well, that if we're having a problem, you start out with point A and work through that. That'll lead you to point B. And you work through point B, and when you're done with point B, that'll lead you to point C. Once you've completed A, B, and C... That should equal out what you need to do and everything will be fine. But that's not the intentions of Christ. Christ has it different. He says, first, I want you to overcome yourself. I want you to overcome your strategy and allow me to put my strategy within you. You see, in Jesus' case, he says that his way is easy, it's light, it's useful, it's not pressing, it's not wearing down, but it's refreshing. So how do we do this? How do we do this whole rest thing that that you just keep telling me about? How do we do this? How do we live this out? Give me some practicalities. Well, here you go. First of all, let go of the head noise and listen. Let go of the head noise and listen. Listen. We have to come to this place where we will not allow the external circumstances to override the voice of God in our lives. We have to learn to sit and meditate on the whole experience before interacting with it and engaging with it. Remember I talked about that whole weight thing? Makes us feel uncomfortable. Who's calling us and telling us we have to give an answer now? Sometimes our biggest enemy is ourselves. Sometimes (laughs) the whole thing is this no one's pressuring you to give the answer God created us remember not to flow out of panic but out of peace and rest So we have to learn to step back out of the situation Meditate on the experience Let go of the head noise and just listen to what God is saying Because when we do that, we're able to see through the circumstances and determine, term, determine God's heart for the matter and not our own. You see, resting in the Father allows us adequate amounts of time of freedom. It provides us freedom to linger and to get attuned with what he's saying to us. A lot of times we don't realize that even in the simplest circumstance, Jesus is speaking to us. Even in the finest thing... Christ wants to tell us something about that moment. But, you know, the enemy wants to rip this away from us. That's why I feel this message is so critical today. If the enemy knows that if we can grasp this whole understanding of resting in God, he will be defeated on so many levels, not only in this local community, but within this city, within this region, and far out as we can imagine. Because this is a way to outwit the enemy. He does this by getting us to react quickly out of emotion, instead of acting out of God's character. Look, tomorrow it's too soon, man. I told you I've got the baby to not started on this. He'll be finished. It won't be right. Okay, I see. Do what I can, okay? Jesus, Jesus. Christ. before you send the emails to my senior pastor <laughs> that really hits home doesn't it how many times are we just overwhelmed that instead of using the name of God as our weapon we use it as a different means the apostle Paul had this great understanding in Galatians five twenty two and 23 it's the fruit of the spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control, long-suffering. And we say, yeah, the fruit of the Spirit is so great. Love it. You know, I'm just, I'm so happy. I'm so joyful. So long-suffering, persevering. Those are weapons for us. God intended us to outwit the enemy with those. So that when we're in the heat of the moment... And it just seems that everything is ready to break around us and our skulls are just being crushed in by the pressure of life and the situation that we have no answer to. Jesus gives us these weapons called the fruit of the spirit. And he says, ah, chaos right there? No, you need to pull out of your arsenal the weapon of peace. Yeah, now see what chaos holds against you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're, you're dealing with people being mean and angry? Mm. Go to your arsenal and get out goodness. Yeah, and just begin to pray goodness over them. And watch what I do in the midst. Imagine if we just begin to start using our weapons of Galatians five twenty two and 3, what begins to really happen? You see, our prayer shouldn't be increase the ability and the giftings on my life and ministry. But it should be, Lord, manifest your love. Manifest your joy, your peace, your patience, your goodness, and your gentleness within me. Because when we rest in Jesus, we're able to use these as weapons against the enemy. I love what Paul said because he talks about it in Galatians. And then he goes further and he says this. I tore down strongholds through love. I tore down those clusters of demons through goodness. I tore them down through mercy. You tried to bring this against me. You tried to rage with your anger against me. That's nothing. Man, you can't even match that with the goodness of Christ. And Paul would combat things of the spirit with the fruit of the spirit. See, the great thing is this. This is so awesome. Christ never gave us the fruit of the Spirit just so that we would have it and be like, praying for joy today. Just praying for peace. Praying for perseverance. (laughs) How you doing today? (laughs) Persevering. Fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) What's going on today? Just gentle. I'm just just so gentle. Just gentle, gentle, gentle. No, he didn't do that. He says, this is a lifestyle. You don't pray about this every now and then. I'm calling you to live this out. And then you live it. You demonstrate it among one another. And then when you have it down, you encourage one another to use it as warfare against the enemy. So when your brother or your sister comes to you in Christ and they say, listen, man, I am dealing with this. And this is what's going on. You can say, Okay, what do you got in your arsenal today? What do you mean? Well, what do you got? Through the Spirit, what do you got? Love, joy, peace, patience. What do we need? What do we need for this situation? Oh, we need peace. All right, let's pray. Come on, let's get on it. Those are our weapons. You see, the Holy Spirit has this way of collecting all of our emotions, all of our thoughts, all of our affections of the Father. And he has this way where he takes and combines all of those things and he puts them into one place. And he stores them up for us. You know what that place is? Rest. Rest in the Almighty. That when our emotions are so worn down and so weak, and when we're tired and we're worn out, we can just... Step back into that veil. And our emotions can be regained. And our thoughts can be reestablished in God. And all that we think is lost is regained in moments because we're in that place. I want to ask you to stand with me. You see, rest occurs when we realize the fullness of the Father's heart towards us. That it's not against us. He's not out to hurt us or harm us, but he's for us. The Father's strategy of rest enables us to tread where others fear to go. I tell you, you are a company of warriors far greater than what you already know. And I guarantee you, starting today... God's going to teach you a whole new way of doing battle. That you're going to be victorious. That you're going to have understanding. That people in the marketplace are going to look at you and say, man, it's like you have no fear going there. You're like, you're right, I don't. In your home life, you're going to see a difference. Because when your siblings look at you, or when those who are on your school campus in the fall, or at your local schools look at you, You're going to say there's something different about you because you're going places that people just fear to tread. You see, the more we learn to rest in God, the more our confidence grows in deeper levels in Him. And we don't get cocky. We just get bolder. Rest can simply be defined as a capacity to live in a state of peaceful happiness with the Lord with yourself and with others I want to pray for you I'm just going to ask you to do something I just want you to open up your hands as a posture of receiving it's nothing weird or funky I can't explain how God does this but I just know that when we have an open heart to receive and God brings forth power and might transformation takes place So I want to pray a blessing over you. I want to pray a strategic blessing over you. That from this day forward, you will have an understanding of resting in God. You will operate in weapons that you have never operated with before in the spirit. And that those you impact, lives will be transformed. So Father, right now, in the name of Jesus... Father, I pray that there would be a fresh release of revelation on everyone in this room regarding your rest and your peace. Father, I pray that with that, you would bring understanding that they wouldn't even have to think on it or meditate it on briefly, but they would be able to live it out in an instant. Father, I pray, Lord, that Galatians 5, and 23 would become so real that it would intimidate the enemy around them. Father, I pray that the reality of their warriorship would rise to the surface within each one of them. Father, the warrior that has lied dormant for years out of fear, out of timidity, even out of ignorance, Lord God, Father, we break it right now in the name of Jesus and we say, rise up. Rise up, warrior within you. Rise up and pick up your weapons that you would war in love and that you would rest in the shadow of the Almighty and that no circumstance, no situation, no matter how great it may seem in your physical eyes will touch or hinder you because you rest in Jesus. Now, Father, We seal this right now in the mighty blood of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.